privilege uh, last Sunday of getting to, I actually got to preach in our old church, and uh, so it's been kind of a fun couple weeks for us. Last week I got to preach in my second favorite church, Clay and Rebecca, you're not allowed to say, actually, uh, there's a couple of people from that church that are here with us here this morning, you guys can't say anything, okay, when you go back, Um, but it is a joy and delight to be back with you uh, all here this um, is more and more becoming our true home. I told Becky, actually, um, you know, outside of about three and a half years of my life, I've lived in Flagstaff the entirety of my life. And I said, it's kind of a trip last week to drive into Flagstaff and for the first time drive into it and it not be home. Um, kind of a unique uh, experience. Some of you who have lived somewhere for a long time and then moved know exactly uh, what I'm talking about. But uh, good, good, good to be back Uh, with you all here this morning. Uh, Why don't you get your Bibles out? Philippians 4 is where we're going to be this morning. It'll take us a a moment to get there. I I hope that uh, you had a great Thanksgiving, and uh, not just the day and a meal, but uh, uh, really the time, uh, Thanksgiving, a time to reflect upon uh, all of God's goodness, God's care, God's providence and love in your life and and mine. And uh, hopefully not only that, but you had the opportunity to express Uh, that gratitude uh, to the Lord and maybe to other loved ones. Um, If you had a bad Thanksgiving, uh, I would just say I'm sorry, and maybe you could take some consolation in the fact that it's a year uh, before the next one comes around. I don't really know what else to tell you. Um, But see, here's, here's, let's press into this for a moment, because this is really where we're going. See, when we think of Thanksgiving, we think of being thankful See, for some of us, Randy even touched on this in the worship set, for some of us, it's really, really easy because life has been really good. Um, God's providence is is clear and abundant and and you recognize all that God has given to you. And and, and so maybe for this past year, it was really, really easy to come to Thanksgiving and tell God, thank you for all that he's done for you. But my sense is there's probably some of you uh, that this Thanksgiving, maybe the last number of Thanksgivings, it's really difficult. It's really hard. Uh, maybe this past year has been anything but good for you. Maybe there's been a, a great loss in your life, a loss of a loved one, a, a fractured or broken relationship. Some, uh, maybe the holidays remind you of uh, some particularly difficult item in your life. So you don't come at Thanksgiving naturally where it's like, man, life is so great and I just love this. I just pour out 10,000 things that I'm thankful for. You come at it with... Oh, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to be thankful. It's kind of hard to be grateful. And so I want to step away from the book of Acts this week and go to um, a passage of Scripture that I think really understands, really all of God's Word understands the nuances of life, but I think this passage really gets at this particular uh, nuance, this particular issue of gratitude and thankfulness, uh, joy, Uh, things of that nature. And and what it does is it pushes us to a place of gratitude, to an expression of thankfulness. Even, 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 listen, even if our circumstances or situation or the context that we find ourselves in wouldn't really appear um, to lead us to that particular place. So Ephesians, or sorry, Ephesians, Philippians 4, at least I'm in the ballpark, right? Philippians 4, uh, we're going to start in verse 4. Before we do, here's, here's really... Um, the thrust of what Paul's after here, what the Spirit of God is after, where we want to go this morning, is we're thankful for the presence of God. We're thankful for the presence of God because it frees us. 
it frees us from sin. It frees us from doubt and anxiety. It frees us from an attitude that lacks uh, thankfulness or gratitude. We are thankful for the presence of God. Amen. Amen. It frees us. All right? So let me, let me read uh, Philippians 4. Actually, let me, just some brief context that may be important. Um, in verse 2 and 3, Paul's talking about a couple of people, Yodi and Syntyche, two uh, individuals in the church, that there's this apparent conflict uh, that they had had. Um, right before that, Paul is talking at the end of chapter 3, talking about enemies of the cross. And so as we come to this verse, Paul's not talking about how great life is. Really, he's talking about some of the most difficult things that he's had to deal with, some of the most difficult items in that particular church. And some of that context will help us to really frame and see the whole of what he's after here. Uh, but Philippians 4, starting in uh, uh, verse 4, here we go. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. A number of your translations may say the Lord is near. Uh, verse 6. Many of you probably have verse 6 and 7 memorized. Uh, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable... Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Why don't you pray with me as we go before our Lord and King? Uh, Lord Jesus, we come before you. We thank you, God, for your great uh, work on our behalf. God, we thank you that your presence, uh, that your presence is not something that is fleeting. Uh, it's not something that's dif distant. It's not something that's far. But God, that you are near and you are close to your people. God, we pray that you would do just that this morning, that your spirit would come and be near to us, that you would have um, the power to work and to move and to challenge and to convict, to encourage, to exhort. God, whatever it is, whatever specific thing you want to speak into the hearts and the lives of, of the, the individuals in this room right now, that God, that you would have the freedom to do that. God, not only for us as we uh, normally pray for uh, pastors in our area, I pray uh, for Eric Anderson, one of our elders who taught this morning in Istanbul at Nations Church. God, I pray that his word would have gone forward to the, and, and, and that you would have moved and worked into the hearts and minds of the hearers of that. And God, for Pastor Peyton Harris as he leads that church in a part of the world that uh, no doubt is um, a difficult, difficult road uh, to travel, would you have your hand upon him? Uh, God, we're not um, ignorant of your great blessings to us especially this week as we think of the abundance of your goodness as we step back to reflect upon that and say thank you. God, we thank you for all the ways that you've made provision in our lives and as we give back just a portion of that understanding uh, the fullness of that, God, would you be honored in our offerings and our tithes and all that we give to you. And Jesus, now we pray that your spirit would unfold and open your word to us. God, that your word would fall on hearts and minds that long to hear, that are anxious uh, and quick to respond to all that you would have for them. Uh, so Lord Jesus, have your way with us now. Uh, we pray this all in your name. Amen. 
All right, title of the message this morning is Thankful for God's Presence. And a really a great, a great passage of Scripture. Even as I say that, I'm kind of chuckling like, is, is there uh, such a thing as not a great passage of Scripture? Right? Could you imagine? Hey, turn to Colossians 1 to this miserable passage. I mean, that, that would never happen, right? I mean, it's, 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 it's all great. Listen, it's all great because it's all God's. Okay, that's what makes it great. Uh, this passage, though, very uh, powerful. Uh, maybe a number of things in this verse that you're like, oh, I know that, I know that. I just didn't know they all went with each other or right next to uh, each other. But as we come to this, let me just take a moment here before we begin to preach through this. I think that it's, um, it's really important for us to understand uh, the author's emphasis, the author's aim, things of that nature, and it helps us to really get clarity as we move through this. Uh, but when we come to passages, we've been moving through the book of Acts, moving through narrative. We see the story unfolding, and right, we treat the story different than how we would treat uh, this passage of Scripture in terms of uh, God's Word, and, and very clearly, do this, don't do this, be this way, don't be this way, things of that nature. But when we come to passages like this where, there, where he's... We're, it's prescriptive, telling us what to do. Oftentimes, we'll see it in linear fashion. Okay, I'm supposed to rejoice, and, and I'm supposed to be reasonable, not be anxious. And, and, and specifically, in verses 4 through 7, don't see it as just some progression. Think of this more as a mountain peak. And on one side of the mountain, we have verses 4 and 5, and it comes to the mountain peak at the, at, at the top, at the pinnacle, is what we see at the end of verse 5. Look at what it says. It says, The Lord is at hand. Or the Lord is near, some of your translations might say. See, that's the epicenter. That's the thing that Paul is driving home. Because God is near, right, we come up one side, and then we're going to come back down the other side, and all of these things, all of these items, are tied to the very presence of God. And then if you jump down to verse 8 and 9, you see this same trajectory, though maybe not as clear as a mountain peak. Uh, but in verse 7, we see the peace of God. Look at the end of verse 9. Here we see the God of peace will be with you. See, it's the presence of God. It's the presence of God that Paul is after. That's the the emphasis. That's the point that he's moving us toward. Okay, and, and, and as we move through this, we'll spend a lot of time talking about what, it, what, what what's unleashed in us, what God allows in us, what God does in us because of the presence of God. But do not, do not, do not miss that the ultimate gift is the presence of God itself. Not what it does, not what it accomplishes, not what it allows, but the very presence of God itself. Now, there are some great things that come from it, but God's presence itself is the greatest gift of all. Yeah, that is the emphasis that Paul is after, and all of these things fall in subjection to that in terms of what God's presence in our lives uh, unleashes, unfolds, unpacks. All right, so with that, two things here really this morning that I want us to see in uh, God's Word. Here's the first, and we'll spend a lot of our time in verses 4 through 7 here this morning. But the first thing we see, uh, talking about being thankful for God's presence. We're thankful for what God's presence allows in me. I'm thankful for what God's presence allows in me, what what, what it brings about in me, what it causes uh, to bear fruit. And look at verse 4. I'm going to talk about verse 4 for a few moments because um, I would suggest to you that Philippians chapter 4 has got to be uh, the most uh, misapplied, misinterpreted, misunderstood uh, chapter in all the Bible. 
I would suggest to you that verse 4 and verse 13 are in the hall of fame of horrendously misapplied verses. Okay, and so I want to take a few moments and, and, and walk through this and make sure that we understand really what's going on and what it is that Paul is and is not saying here. So the first thing we see, uh, thankful for what God's presence allows in me, is to rejoice in the Lord. Look what he says, to rejoice. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. He's like, hey, just in case you missed it, let me uh, reemphasize this. Let me say this again. I want this uh, to find its place in your heart. Let's talk for a moment what joy is and what joy isn't. Okay, let's start with what joy is not. Uh, joy is not simply being happy. Okay, joy is not being smiley. Uh, joy is not someone who's chipper, okay? Uh, now, that might be manifested in those particular ways, but that is not in and, in and of itself joy. Furthermore, joy is not determined or dictated by circumstance or situation. I like this definition of joy. I want to jot this down. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. Let me say that again. Joy is the supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. And so true biblical joy doesn't find its home in what's going on in my life. It's not determined by situation or circumstance. It's not determined by whether or not I'm healthy or not. It doesn't determine by whether or not my bank account is flush or empty. It's the supernatural delight in the person of God, in the purposes of God, in the people of God. And you start thinking about that, right? Supernatural is not natural. Right? Often when we think of natural, we would think, well, I'm going to be joyful if life is good, if things are going the way that I want them to go, if, if my marriage is happening, if my kids are doing well, if I love my job, then I can be joyful. But, you know, if those things are not happening, then I'm not joyful. And that's often, often, often how we treat joy. And yet the reality is some of you could have uh, from the outside what would look like a perfect life and you're miserable. Others of you could have a life that no one in their right mind would go, you know what, I want that. And yet you've got greater joy and satisfaction than pretty much anyone on the face of the planet. See, because you understand that joy is a supernatural delight in the person, purposes, and people of God. Now look at the verse here for a moment. Uh, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. I, I want you to notice there's an emphasis here in a singular person and that being the source of joy. Right? The emphasis is in the person of God, not in the circumstances in life, not in what's going on around me. He just says rejoice in the Lord always. Right? Joy is recognizing the person of God and, and allowing that to determine how I view what's going on around me. Paul says nothing of the present circumstances. He says nothing of, um, uh, of the other things that are going on in his life, whether good or bad. In fact, if anything, contextually, right, we've got a conflict in the church uh, back in verse 2, and he's talking about enemies of the cross. And so Paul doesn't casually uh, arrive at the place where he's telling this church, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Now sometimes, sometimes, right, I mentioned this verse is, uh, misused, misapplied. Um, sometimes it's downright abusive. I remember hearing a guy talk about uh, doing a funeral and uh, a person come bounding up the stairs of the church. 
right, a tragic death. Well, hey, rejoice in the Lord always, man. She's in a better place. We should all just be happy. Okay, please, please, please don't ever use this verse in that context unless you want some broken kneecaps, okay? That, that is a horrendous use of this verse. And, and, and far too often we do this. We, we, we take this verse and, and it, it, it's like we want to use it as a sledgehammer in an attempt to drive in people into a place of happiness. Like, you're going to be joyful. You're, if, man, if I just beat you with this enough, you're going to be joyful. And yet the truth is, Right? Biblical joy is not clueless of just how brutal and how horrendous life can be. Okay? It's not lost on that. And yet, how often do we make the mistake of going, well, rejoice in the Lord. If you would just rejoice in the Lord, we're going to hammer it into people. No, you, you got to hear this both so you don't make this mistake and because I know for a fact that some of you are, find yourself in this very place. Listen, there have been people throughout the entirety of the scriptures who have found themselves in very dark places. Very dark. In fact, if you don't believe me, here's just a few of a number of examples. Uh, you ever read the book of Psalms? Okay, do you know that more than half of the psalms are what we would call imprecatory psalms? It's not, we worship you, we love you, you're amazing. It's God, why? God, how long? And God, when is this going to stop? Did you know that Moses, there's a point in time in Moses' life where he asked God to kill him? It's a pretty dark place. Jeremiah was the weeping prophet. I can think about just about anything sounds better than being the weeping prophet. Paul, the very guy who penned uh, the book of Philippians that we're looking at this morning. Right, we, sometimes, sometimes we think of Paul like he's this superhero. He's like a spiritual superman, right? With like his cape and tights and whatnot. And he's got like everything happening for him. He, he, here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1. He says this. Tell me if this doesn't maybe resonate with some of you. We were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. See, you can love the Lord and be in a very dark place because we've seen it throughout the scriptures. And so we come to this verse and I want us to, I want us to make sure we understand the fullness of this because uh, far too often, far too often we as believers with well-intentioned, well-intentioned, good intentions do great damage when we take this and we say, hey, listen, I know that life is miserable. I know that you're struggling, but you just need to rejoice in the Lord, man. Would you just rejoice in the Lord? Like, I don't get what your problem is. And it's like, I am going to strangle you, right? You ever been there? <laughs> like, you, 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 the ne next issue on the list is me losing my mind with you. Now, that being said, that being said, Look at what this says, rejoice in the Lord, always. In the same fashion that we don't bludgeon people with this who are in a difficult or a hard place, the reality is, is Paul's speaking right into a very difficult and hard context. And he's saying, listen, loved ones, if there's ever a place, if there's ever a place that you could always find joy, 
It's in the person of Jesus. And that's all that he tells us to do. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. It's found solely in the person of Jesus. In fact, it's interesting that just a few verses later that the other verse that's so often misused, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, is really Paul saying that I can handle any situation, I can be content in any situation because the presence of God is with me. See, it's the same thing. That the presence of God, that I'm thankful for the presence of God, that I can rejoice in the Lord because of the presence of God. And maybe for some of you, that's the very thing that you need to hear. Maybe that's the only thing that you could truly rejoice in because the rest of your life, honestly, is just in shambles. And where you would hear the biblical truth, rejoice in the Lord always. That we rejoice in the Lord, that we're thankful for his presence because he's near Right, God in Hebrews 13 telling us that he will never leave us or forsake us, that the presence of God allows us to rejoice, to supernaturally delight in the person of God. We're thankful for what God's presence allows in us, that we can rejoice in the Lord, that we understand the fullness of that one, that God's not ignorant to the realities and the difficulties and the hardships in our lives. But the other side of that, that no matter how difficult, how hard, how brutal life may be, that joy, true joy, supernatural delight can be found in the person of God. Thankful for what God's presence allows in me to rejoice in the Lord. Okay, here's the second one. I promise not all of these will take uh, as long. Just had to uh, make sure we're clear on that. Verse 5, uh, it says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, I don't know why the ESV chose uh, to translate this as reasonableness. And all other, uh, the Greek word here and all other places in the, uh, in the ESV are translated to have a gentle spirit. Uh, most of your translations say a gentle spirit. I think that's probably um, the, the most uh, accurate uh, interpretation. Uh, but part of what God's presence allows in me is a gentle spirit. It, it's that I'm reasonable, that I'm equitable, that I'm fair, that I'm just with those around me. Right? That our conduct towards those around us reveals the very presence of God in our lives. And so I, just, I just wrote this down. The presence of God changes the behavior of the people of God. Okay? The presence of God changes, it changes the behavior of the people of God. And so this gentle spirit, because Jesus has a gentle spirit, because Christ has been gentle with you and I, where we too can be gentle with one another, where we can be caring and kind for one another. Right? This gentle spirit mimicking what Christ has done for us, now we begin to do for others because the presence of God in my life begins to have that effect in me. So we see where we can rejoice in the Lord where there's a gentle spirit and then really what I believe is the epicenter of what, what Paul is getting at here, the Lord is at hand. Right, the Lord is at hand. See, God is near. And all of these things that he tells us because God is near that I can rejoice, that I can have a gentle spirit. And then we come to verse 6. Let me just read it here. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything. Do not be anxious about anything. Okay, true confessions. Sometimes I read that and I start getting anxious about not getting anxious, right? (laughs) Like, don't be anxious about anything. It's like, wait, that's kind of hard. Now, now, here's, here's, okay, how, how many people have verse 6 and 7 memorized? Okay, come on. 
Okay, many of you, a number of you. And, and, and how many of you, how many of you, maybe you've quoted this over and over and again, and it's like, don't be anxious about anything, but with prayer and, and supplication with thanksgiving, let, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension regards your hearts and minds of Christ Jesus, right? It's like, well, I, if I pray, then I won't be anxious. Right? How, how many of you have, have, have understood those verses to mean those things? Right? Come on, true confessions. Right? That's what I grew up learning. And for years, that's, I, I mean, I even taught this um, I don't think that's wrong. I just don't think that's the full picture. Right, because what is, the, the, the whole epicenter is the Lord is at hand. So let, let me just try to illustrate this for a moment. Um, Austin, I'm going to pick on you for a minute, man. You've got a lot going on in your life. Um, imagine, imagine, right, Austin's getting married in how many days? Roughly? Six, seven weeks. Right, I told that date, you know, if, if you're not, you know, the math thing might have been tricky. I, that's not fair. Okay. Uh, Austin's bright. I can say that. If, if he wasn't good at math, I wouldn't say that. But uh, uh, you're getting married. You've got a lot of changes coming up in your life. Um, a little bit anxious at times, bro? Sometimes. Sometimes. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Now, imagine, imagine how just obnoxious this would be. Just out of the blue, don't be anxious about anything. See, that's moralism. Stripped of the context, that's just moralism. Janetta, don't be anxious about anything. Right? Okay, Paula, Paula, you've, you've, you're in the middle of a cancer battle. Could you imagine if I just walked up to you? Hey, don't be anxious about anything. I'm going to have a broken limb because Alan's not going to let me out of there without that happening. See, that's moralism. You have to see this in the context. Because I would suggest to you that the first part of verse 6 is one of the most obnoxious statements in all the scriptures. Do not be anxious about anything. But the reason that Paul can say it is what he says right before. The Lord is near. See, the Lord is near, right? And because God is near, because God is close, what is it that I really have to fear? What what, what is it that would create such anxiety? What is it that would create such fear, such doubt, such worry? Now, stripped of that, I can think of a lot of things. But see, the Lord is near, the Lord is at hand. You could almost say, therefore, do not be anxious about anything. See, we're not anxious because we're working hard or trying more or we've got this greater determination to see it through. We're not anxious because we recognize the presence of God and, and, and His closeness in our life. And this past week, as I was meeting with a couple of um, my good buddies, we were just talking about just life in general and, and things of that nature. And one of them was asking me, he's like, what, 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 are you, what are you learning in your ministry? Like, what is God teaching you in your ministry? And I kind of had to step back and I had to think about that a little bit. I'm like, man, that's, that's, a, that's a valid question. And as I started to think about it, I said, you know, man, honestly, what I'm learning is that every day I recognize more and more just how desperately I need the gospel. And I realize more today how much I need the gospel, I need the saving power of Jesus Christ in my life more than I ever have. Now, now it's not that I actually need Jesus more, I just recognize my need for Jesus more. Because I'm confronted more and more with my inadequacy, my insufficiency, my, my, the, the lack of the fullness of capacity. And see, that same principle is playing itself out here. See, I recognize that I need Jesus to be close in the same way that some of you, you hear, don't be anxious about anything, and you start getting kind of anxious because you're like, that's kind of hard to do. And we need to be reminded of 
God himself being close. God himself, the very presence of God, is what allows you and I to live a life without anxiety. See, I, I, I wrote this down really for myself. The absence of anxiety is found in the presence of the Almighty. The absence of anxiety is found in the presence of the Almighty. So can I, can I just be pastoral here for a moment and just exhort you, encourage you, push you, prompt you, whatever it may be, to proactively pursue the presence of God? Not, not, not the ritual, not the duty, not the checklist spirituality of I read my Bible, I said my prayers, I'm good. But pursuing the presence of God. Getting close to the very one who holds all things in his hands. Can we not come back to that place? Where we get back into the presence of God, to the closeness and the person of God. Thankful for what God's presence allows in me, right? That we can rejoice, gentle spirit. Uh, thirdly, no anxiety. Now look at this here, uh, verse, uh, in verse six. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the next thing that God allows in us is to pray. It's prayer, right? I think the most natural response to anxiety in our lives should be prayer. Um, maybe, maybe you hear that and you're kind of like, oh yeah, we know about that. Or, oh, I was kind of hoping to be something better. Like, are you sure? There, there's got to be something better than prayer there. And truthfully, when we find ourselves in a place of fear or worry, you know, to move close to the Lord in uh, prayer. But I'll, I'll be really honest, when I was moving through, part of my response, the reason I said that, that was part of my response initially. Oh, yeah, prayer. Okay, you got that. Uh, what's next? See, because I think far too often what happens is we become inoculated to the reality that the God of the universe wants to speak with you and I. You tracking with me on that? Like the one who holds all things in his hands, like God could blink and everything's gone. I mean, God didn't even have to blink, right? He just thought, boom, gone, done, obliterated. That one, that one, wants to speak to you and I. You ever, you ever been in the presence of like a celebrity and they're not really interested in the people around them? Okay. Okay, we're, we're talking about mega, ultra, for all time celebrity. And he desperately wants to speak with you. Well, one, of the things, one of the things that I find so interesting as a pastor is um, where, where people will share, not that they'll share things with me. I don't find that interesting. I think that's healthy, okay? But they'll share something with me. And then a lot of times they'll go, thanks for listening to me. Now, why, why do you think people would say that? I've thought about that a lot. Why, why would they say, thanks for listening to me? Th thanks for being willing to sit down and hear this from me. And I think the reason that people say that is because far too often we, we've had that experience where people don't really care. They don't really want to hear what we have to say. They're not really interested in our heart of hearts. They're not really interested in what's going on deep inside of us. And right, we can see right through that. We, we know when that's happening. And so when someone legitimately cares, when someone's really interested in what's really going on in your life, you're like, man, thank you. Thank you for listening to me. I want you to consider the God of the universe for a moment. And that he wants to hear from you. That he wants to speak with you. That he wants to... Uh, 
engage you relationally. And sometimes, right, sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, well, God doesn't really care about that. He's not really interested in that. I don't want to burden it. He doesn't really want to hear about my struggle with this or that. Well, I don't know. Look, what, what does the verse say? Do not be anxious about anything. I don't know about you. I, when, when I'm anxious about something, it's usually not a good thing. Um, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, the very thing that God is saying, specifically what he's telling us to do here, is to talk about the very source of our fear, anxiety, or insecurity, or doubt in our lives. That's what he's saying. I want to hear what's the most difficult, uh, burdensome, uh, weighty thing in your life. That, that's what he's saying here. He wants the freedom for you and I to, to share some of those items with God. And you start thinking about that. It's like, why in the world would we not press into that? Like, why would we not press that? I think it's because we simply forget or we lose sight of what God is really telling us and calling us to do. And we, we simply miss his presence and God pushing us into that. But we're thankful for what the presence of God allows in us, that he allows us to pray. And then finally this, verse 7. The thankful for the presence, what the presence of, of God allows in us, and it's the peace of God. It's the peace of God, verse 7. And the peace of God, and then he tells us a couple things about the peace of God. First of all, that it surpasses all understanding. Right? Like you just can't fathom it. It doesn't make any sense. It's beyond comprehension. How in the world could you possibly have peace at such a difficult time in your life? Not only does it surpass all understanding, but it's going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Right? It's going to protect us. It's, it's not going to allow uh, certain things to have its, uh, its way in us. Right? That you and I can have peace. That we can have peace and you can't, you can't come away from an experience with the Almighty without having a sense of peace. Can't do it. You can't come out of the presence of God without experiencing peace. Remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about Stephen? And, and he's on the verge of getting stoned, and he, and he knows it. And I love what Luke tells us there. He says that his face was like an angel. Now, I, I don't know exactly what he means. I'm guessing that there's some kind of peace and confidence. Um, I'm guessing it's not precious moment style, uh, but maybe, uh, maybe it looks kind of like that. But just this comfort, this security in knowing who God is. What about Peter? Remember when Peter walked on the water? Now, see... That in and of itself is a phenomenal miracle. But, but it, it, I think oftentimes we think that, that Peter hopped out of the boat into the most tranquil, glass-like sea imaginable. But remember, they were freaking out because they were in the midst of this horrendous storm. And then they see Jesus and they think he's a ghost. So now they're really freaking out. Peter didn't walk out onto some calm, flat surface. He walked out into a raging sea. See, because the peace that was found in the presence of Jesus. And maybe some of you the same thing in the midst of a raging sea and yet the peace of Christ and his proximity, his closeness, his presence in our lives. And the peace wasn't found for Stephen or for Peter. We could go to a host of other examples in the scriptures. It wasn't found in anything that they did. It was found in the presence of the person that was with them. It's found in the presence of Christ. 
And yet how often, how often, how often in our world today do we see people telling us how to have peace and how to, how to have less stress and, and, and how to um, decompress in our life? Right? You can go on any blog or magazine or internet website. I mean, they're everywhere. I, I just chuckle at how often I come across these things like 10 ways, 10 ways to better mental health, 10 ways to peace in your life. And, and have you ever noticed like number one inevitably always is relax? Okay, I'm going to pick on... Okay, type A. Who's type A in the room? Come on, don't leave me hanging. Okay, so I'm just picking on myself and a couple of my closest friends here. All right, type A people. This is what happens when type A people read uh, that list. Okay, number one, relax. Okay, ah, it's like just like super tense. I'm gonna relax. I'm really relaxed. I'm relaxing. It doesn't really feel like, but oh yeah, I'm relaxing. And then right, number two is something always like some kind of breathing type thing like, oh, breathe deeply. Ah, ah, I'm going to pass out, right? That's, see, that's what it is to attempt to find peace absent of the person of Jesus. It's futile. It's a fruitless endeavor. You might, you might find it for a brief moment, maybe even for a short season, but you'll never find anything that lasts. See, because it's exactly what he says. The peace of God. It's the peace of God. And it's only that peace that's going to surpass all understanding. It's only that peace that's going to guard your hearts and your minds. Uh, That peace is only found in the presence of God and in the person of God. So we're thankful for the presence of God. We're thankful for what the presence of God allows in us. And I'll briefly, let's just look at verse 8 and 9 here. I'm thankful for what the presence of God does in us thankful for what the presence of God does in us, right? God doesn't simply allow things in us. He also will change us. Um, He's he's gonna work in us two specific ways that we see him changing us here in verses eight and nine. One is he's gonna change how we think. Look at what it says. Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's anything, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And he's going he's to change our mind. He's going to change the way that we think. He's going to change the ways in which we process. And when you have an encounter with God, one of the things that's interesting, you start looking at guys who have an actual encounter with God. There's three distinct things that show up all the time throughout the scriptures. One is there's a recognition of God's holiness. Very, very clear, right? Remember Moses in Exodus uh, 33? And God's like, um, I'm going to hide you in the rock. You couldn't handle uh, looking upon me. Isaiah, Isaiah 6 in the throne room. It's like, I'm undone. Uh, next week in Acts 9, we'll see uh, Saul, right, blinded by the light. The, the recognition of God's holiness. What follows closely on the heels of that is an understanding of our sinfulness. Right? And th- those two things uh, always go hand in hand. We see God's holiness. We're confronted with our sinfulness. But praise God, right? Praise God that that's not where the stories always end. But he moves to a place of cleansing us and then commissioning us. And see, part of the commission is that God changes us to send us out and to be distinct and to be different. Specifically here in verse 8, we see that God changes the ways in which we think. The way in which we understand what goes through our mind, the presence of God changes and transforms the people of God. I love what Moses said in 
Exodus 33, when he tells God, is it not in your going with us, right? Is it not, God, in your presence that we're distinct from all other peoples? You start thinking about the presence of God and that threaded throughout the entirety of the scriptures. We see that back in Exodus, right? We start turning our attention towards Christmas this time of year. When you think of Christmas, you can't not think of Emmanuel, which means what? Tell me. God with us, okay? There's the presence of God. Uh, Certainly in this passage, repeatedly, we see Paul coming back to the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, the God of peace will be with you. Go all the way to the end of the book, Revelation 21, and it talks about how God is going to dwell with us. See, the presence of God has always, always, always been a substantial part of the plan of God, that God is going to be with us. It's going to change how we think. As I think in this way, it's going to move me closer and closer towards Jesus. It's going to have its sanctifying effect. And of course, as I move closer to Jesus, it's going to change the way in which I think. We're thankful for what God's presence does in me. It's going to change how we think, loved ones. And then notice this in verse 9, it's going to change how we live. It's going to change the way in which we lived. He says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, saying all these different things that you've seen going on, you've, you've heard them, you've seen them, you've practiced them, you've received them uh, from me as I gave them to you, and all these things. He says, practice these things. Do these things. All that you're seeing here, now go execute that, make that happen. It's not simply a transmission of information. It's part of life change. It's part of life transformation that's taking place. But notice what he finishes with. And the God of peace will be with you. See, it's not just practice these things, think this way. See, he understands that the presence of God, the very presence of God has to be at work, has to be at play in your life and in mine. And the God of peace is with us. It's going to change the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we live. It's going to transform us. I like to think of it as... um, you know, like you see this in cartoons or movies sometimes where uh, maybe one of the wimpier characters, uh, right? One of the weaker characters is sitting there and one of their enemies comes to them and then they like roar or they pull out their knife or their gun or whatever it is. I mean, it's like, there's no way, there's no way that this person's ever going to take down their enemy. But see, what they don't know is who's standing right behind them. It's just this enormous beast of an individual or whatever, right? And so they're like some little wimpy, like, roar! And and the person that they're looking at is, what? Terrified. Not because they're looking at them, they're looking at who's standing right behind them. See, that's the presence of God in our life. You know, we can't handle all that the world throws at us. Come on, let's be real. You, You can't handle it. I can't handle it. We couldn't take it. We couldn't stomach it. There's no way. And in our feeble attempt in and of ourselves to roar, I mean, that's a joke to the enemy. But when the presence of God is the place where we live our lives, that scenario plays itself out very, very differently, doesn't it? Now our feeble little roar with the, the savior of the universe standing behind us, yeah, that changes things. That drastically changes things. But you and I got to come to the place where we live life in the presence of God. We've got to come back to the place where we intentionally live our lives in the presence of God. Not running away from it, not trying to avoid it, but racing back into it. Thankful. Thankful for God's presence. I'm thankful for what it 
allows in us. I'm thankful for what it does in us. I'm thankful that God is near. I'm thankful that he doesn't walk away from us. But it's time for us to live in that, to allow God to have his desired effect in the hearts and lives of his people. And where you and I would quit trying to live outside of that and come back to the place, not where I'm trying hard. I'm not going to be anxious just on my own. I'm not going to rejoice just because it says to, but because God is near. I'm not going to change the way that I think. I'm just going to try harder at it. I'm going to do more to do this. No, no, because the God of peace is with me. Loved ones, let's go back to the place where we live our lives in the very presence of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that you are near. God, I thank you that you're not distant. You're not far. God, even in our greatest attempts to push you away, to to get away, to move away from you, even in that, you're right there. God, we couldn't escape you if we wanted to. And at times, God, if we're honest, at times maybe we're frustrated by that, but the reality is we're so thankful for that. God, I pray, I pray that you would give us a great thankfulness for your presence. God, that you would give us a great understanding of the fullness of that, the implications of that, how that changes and transforms who we are and how we live. God, that we would live in that. That we wouldn't simply go, God, thanks that you're close. Thanks that you're near. We're so glad that you're close to us and then go live life outside of that. But God, that we would live in your presence. God, help us to do so. We love you, Jesus, and pray this in your name. Amen.